Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Friends, welcome. This is the last of a three-part series of New Blue, where I had the pleasure of interviewing John and Sally two retired police detectives who investigate crimes in their own podcast, True Crime Investigators UK. In part one, we discussed the basics of being a detective. In part two, we focused on police interviews. And in this episode, we shall be diving into the nitty-gritty of crime scenes and investigations. We recorded all three episodes back-to-back with a little break in between. Which is why, when we returned... Our minds weren't exactly focused on murder, but food, as well as many other topics. Grab a water. Yes. Oh, 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 I just heard the word. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You were talking. I thought you were talking to us. (laughs) I just I just wolfed down a big pack for those uh, um, those fish sticks. Love fish sticks. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the crab the crab sticks. Oh yeah, love those crab sticks with quavers, and mum's inverted commas diet food like crackers, which I was never allowed to touch. I love crackers. Yeah, yeah. and they got <laughs> fish finger sandwiches. Oh, and I just oh. remember as a kid, fish finger sandwiches, yes. that plastic white bread, yes. fish fingers, mm. and tomato ketchup, oh. all the rest of it. But it was absolutely lovely. Heaven, so, isn't it? So fish finger sandwiches there. Yeah. I know they're the cheapest of kind of crap that you can get in a bakery, but for me that was a treat as a kid and Angel Delight. Angel, oh, Angel, Angel Delight, Delight. yeah. yeah. And so we used to have what we called schmitters. And, and a schmitter is, what John's laughing at me now, is white <laughs> bread with brown sauce on it. Oh. With a glass of milk. I went to yeah. the counter and their police stations are like, you know, something out of the... Uh, the best office blocks in the world type thing. Oh, wow. we got lots of money in Southern California. Yeah. And um, she, I went in and just said, I've, I'm here from England. Is there anybody I could talk to? And, oh, stand right there. And then Linda turns up. Oh, you know, what do you want to see? So I said, well, I don't know. I've just come on spec. And I spent like three days at various times. And I went up in the helicopter with the sheriff. And, oh, nice. And did a full shift with them. And because we didn't have London had a helicopter police helicopter, but now of course 
we've got them, but you can't go up in them unless you work on them. Did Derbyshire not have a We've got a regional one now. now. It covers two or three counties, but, you, you know, you can't just hitch a ride. <laughs> and uh, But she says, well, that's no problem. I'll, I'll, the sheriff flies the helicopters. I'll sort that for you. When do you want to go? I says, well, I'm here. I went for a month, didn't I, I think? It's my brother's three weeks. Yeah. And she um, says, that's take that done. What else do you want to do? I said, well, I don't know. And when when wow. they when they stopped for a meal, when he was on the helicopter, they stopped for a meal. They landed in the car park of a of a of a restaurant. Didn't you? Yes, we did enjoy having a good old natter until finally we got down to business, sort of. Hi. Hello, hello again. Hello, is it, we, we're saying hello again, but we've been here for about three hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we haven't actually been anywhere, have we? We haven't gone anywhere. <laughs> we're enjoying it, though. Good, good. Right, Michael. First question. What crime requires a crime scene? Well, having mm. tendered probably hundreds, if not thousands, over my police career... Everything is a crime scene where a crime's committed, basically. But obviously it's only the severity and the seriousness that alters it. I suppose Mars. I suppose people's perception of a crime scene is what they see on television with yes. the tape, tape around it. Yeah. And that figure that's always on the floor with a white tape round. Yeah, I've yes. I have never, never seen, seen one, of, one of those. I've never seen one of those. Um <laughs> So, so that's not real. <laughs> well, not not that we've ever seen. <laughs> no, it's it, it's a bit like the um, the uniformed policeman in the interview. You know, yeah. I've never seen it, and it it, it doesn't exist. I, but, I, I guess it kind of ruins the crime scene, doesn't it? If someone's putting a chalk outline around something. Well, yes, it uh, it it's not not good practice. I don't think. Yeah, and and in fairness, that's what you've got a camera for. <laughs> That's true. I Just mean, take I a mean, photograph the, of of the person in situ and then and then move them. Who decides the size of the the crime scene? Joe, if you were to put the tape out, how far do you go, and who makes that decision? The extent of the crime scene. If you've got a murder in a house, your crime scene will potentially be the whole of the house, and you will probably put your tape. Uh, across the end of the garden so that nobody enters. Or even the street. And, or if it's a so, supposing they had a, a car outside, you, you may put the, um, you may put the crime scene tape around the car if you think the, mm. that the car may be involved. So, so the extent of it varies depending on. Yeah. And it's, it's down to somebody taking a grip of the job, isn't it? Mm. And, and be that the first uniform officer, CID or senior investigator. And the rule of thumb is quite sensible and common sense is you can't replace what you've damaged. Once yes. you've trodden on a footprint that's destroyed it, you can never get that back. So it's drummed into you from an early recruitment stage. Don't contaminate don't contaminate the scene. anything. Preserve the scene and don't contaminate it. And again, you know, it's down to the individual, Bobby's common sense initially. Just, you know, once... Life is extinct, and it's clear that that's happened. Be ambulance has been and said, you know, he's got a knife in his back or whatever. You just withdraw and then call the cavalry, basically. But you will also preserve, say, 
I know we've we've spoken on an earlier episode about the Michael Pritchard murder where um John was in, involved in that and a a delivery guy was um out doing his delivery and somebody stole his car and he tried to stop them and they ran him over Oof. um and and killed him they made off in 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 the victim's van so not only have we got a crime scene on the road where he was run over and killed but then when the vehicle was found because they'd abandoned it in a field that's potent that's also your crime scene because that's where your stolen vehicle ended up so it's not always where something happened but it's drummed into everybody isn't it mm. don't contaminate anything don't touch anything and if you do obviously it's, keep it's, it to a minimum it's a big responsibility oh, it isn't is. it and and that's why when you see these programs on television and you know they've got a taped off area and then you see people lifting the tape up and walking through it and John and I are going don't walk in the scene because that's not what you do um yeah. and the scene is so important and the the scene of a crime or the scene of in Michael Pritchard's case where the where the car was uh, where the vehicle was found it is so it, it can tell you multitude of things can't it it can tell its own story, and that's the reason that you need to preserve it. Right, we've just gone past the old gatehouse, which is now a cafe. Swanbourne Lake on Swanbourne Lake on our left. And this is the route that Joan, as far as we're aware, would have taken. I think so, yes, yes. And Yes, I mean, if she walked down Mill Lane, it's the only way in. Yes, know. I mean, it's a massive park, isn't it? I mean, there must be many, many acres of land yeah. and we're going back to 1948 I mean it's popular today but it was quite secluded I would think in 1948. So how useful is it for you as detectives to not just see photos but to physically visit the crime scene? On on our pod, podcast um, True Crime Investigators UK we look into crimes and and this is where our background comes in because when we look in to the crimes that that go on the podcast, we actually go to the scene. So from the the gatehouse, now the cafe, yep. how far is it approximately to where Joan was I, found? I, I think it was about a mile. So she'd walked a long way away. Mile. Yeah, she had walked. And then she'd left the track and gone up into where she we're got, going got, to. Gone, gone up, up the hill to sunbathe. Uh, that's, the, that's the theory. We were alerted to the to the case by... Uh, an author, Martin Knight, and we went with Martin um, and, and he showed us round the area. So all the relevant sites of what had happened and in particular, the place where the body of Joan had been found. And I remember saying to Martin, I don't know what I expected, but I didn't expect this. Yeah. And that speaks reams because now when I talk about the... Um, Joan Woodhouse murder I can see in my mind's eye the pub where the prime suspect and his family used to used to go and used to play darts I know how far it is from where her body was found to actually where she got off the bus in town and you can put all those things into perspective and we call it feet on the street don't we and and that's what we do with every single one that we do 
Um, which we're used to do in real which, life. Which we're used to do. And, and nothing, nothing can replace that. Can you enter the scene before forensics have finished? Uh, it depends on the circumstance. You know, if, if it's sort of somebody's opened the door and found there's, you know, relatives have been murdered and whatever, yeah. again, you'd, you'd, you'd go in and look just in case, you know, your perpetrator's still, still there. there. Or there's somebody oh, upstairs. Yes. If this is downstairs, yeah. is there somebody upstairs? Uh, again, you know, they might be alive. And you would use your common sense. That's, that's the basics. But don't, oh, you know, once you've satisfied that there's nothing you can do, you'd come out and wait until somebody senior comes. It's basically handed over. And if it's a serious crime, they have what they call crime scene managers these days who are CSIs. And it's their role to manage the scene and to <laughs> complete the, all the and, forensic examination. And that's when they put on their overalls and, and their gloves and, yeah. and all, all that kind of thing. Because what we've said about contamination is mm. whenever anybody goes anywhere, they leave something of, of theirs behind as far as um, physical evidence is concerned. And what you don't want in a in a crime scene is the CSIs that go leaving any of their hair, skin, DNA, anything in the scene, because obviously that's, that's a contamination. Yeah. And of course, you always keep a log of who enters the scene and who leaves the scene. That, again, is just all about contamination and knowing who has been in the space and when they came and when they left um so you'll see it's usually a uniform bobby at the at the scene uh, of the uh, yeah, tape uh, where the, it's taped off the gate with a clipboard logging in people who come and go oh wow okay so who who has overriding rank of a crime crime scene or is it specific according to what's going on it would be, for every crime, no matter what it is, there'll be a senior police officer in charge. And, you know, it, the SIO, Senior Investigating Officer, is normally of a detective chief inspector and superintendent rank who would take command of the overall investigation. The idea is that you get as many people involved and, and get things quickly moving because... As time goes on, people, you know, maybe visitors to the area and they'll go home. People's memories will fade. So everything's done in, you know, a logical, methodical manner, but with urgency as soon as you can to get as much information as you can. So that's run by the SIO. It's a, a tried and tested method. And it, it sounds a bit of a cliche, but your crime scene is your silent witness. Okay. Um, a crime scene can tell you an awful lot. Hence the reason it's important to preserve it, don't contaminate it, and someone to be in charge as to what you then do with that crime scene and how it's how it's examined. Yeah. So what's, what's, what's the best kind of crime scene obviously fresh but are there places that are better than others or worse than others indoors is better uh, oh, okay yeah because outdoors literally you know you're maybe in a field or whatever you've got the weather you've got the weather depending you've got on animals animals I people mean, yeah the, people 
Yeah, people. Uh, the Joan Woodhouse case we refer to in Sussex. She mm. was uh, believed, obviously difficult to be exact when she died, but approximately eight days prior to being found. And, of course, nature had taken its toll. Uh, there'd been heavy rain. She'd been attacked by animals. Uh, a lot of forensic, although very basic forensic techniques they used in 1948, but a lot of the evidence was just washed away, if there had been any in the first place. So, outdoors, it's more challenging by the sheer nature of the location. Indoors, you know, going back to the scenario in the house, obviously if if they've been murdered or whatever and the perpetrator escaped, at least it's something like intact. And then it depends on how long they've been there. You know, the longer somebody's there, they deteriorate. We've had them on the moors, haven't we? And mm. people dumped, you know, murdered in cities away from where we are and brought over here and thrown in fields and rivers. Wow. Um, so, freezers. Yeah, freezers, put in Ugh. freezers. Um, so they're all different and there's no... No real... There's no strict... Yeah. You, you just have to... You just have to assess it when you go to it and decide what's what's the best thing for that situation. Um, and that's why you get these... Um, these days, those little tents over where a body is or where something in particular has taken place, just so that because it's outside, you're protecting that little area from the from the elements oh right i was i always thought it was a modesty thing to protect the public but that makes sense yeah i mean it's it's both really yeah i mean one of our other murders the the lady was dumped at outside exeter wasn't she on mm. a on a uh, beauty spot again in a field out the way they found out that she'd been shot and dumped basically but also that her head was missing oh and of course it begs the question as to what on earth has gone on here. Has she been shot here or brought here? Um, and, of course, the initial police investigation, we actually interviewed the SIO who led that inquiry. And you're the SIO, you know, on call or whatever. This is where it is. And you go and you find this scene of, you know... You find a, a, a headless corpse that's wow. that's obviously been dead for some time and therefore um decomposed in various ways got no identification on it where do you start and it's where do you start yeah and it, and they spent days and days and days digging up all the soil all around the scene yeah and, and sifting sifting it, it for wow. evidence because they did find some some teeth they found a teeth and some fingernails, fingernails. in <sighs> uh, in so, of course, that, and he, he tells us all about this on the podcast that, you know, they had officers sifting tons of soil, looking for minute parts, you know, whatever they could find. And, of course, we're baffled for several days as to actually what had happened. Why is this woman here and who's done this? Now, was a head there when she was dumped and it's subsequently been, you know, she'd been there some time, hadn't she? Or dead some time. So, Again, it, you know, a fantastic police inquiry. Very quickly, through bog standard police work, they detected it. Well, didn't they? her body was found, if memory serves me right, on the third of September, and the offender 
had his first court appearance on the 12th of September. Mm. Oof. And, and we're talking in the 80s when we didn't have computers, we didn't have um, mobile phones, we didn't have the internet, because it was all down to what we'd call proper coppering. Yeah, we, we keep referring it, don't we, to old-fashioned police work, but it's still current today, isn't it? Mm. We have all this gizmos and gadgets and forensics. But your basics. But a lot of it comes down to basic police work of going to the scene, following everything from there outwards, and eventually, very quickly, they identified the lady who was a, an American lady married to this British guy called Michael Tellin, and he came from a very wealthy family and you know like a lot of wealthy people pop stars whatever they got more money and they get into drink and drugs and domestic situation and he he killed her but wow. you know the actual examination of the scene you know was mammoth and took a lot of time so they're all different there's no rule of thumb the only rule of thumb is don't put your size nines all, all over it. the place <laughs> <laughs> I don't touch anything. So, so with the crime scene, are you kind of... Are you trying to work out a timeline? Is that kind of... Well, it's trying a, to work out what's happening? A very interesting question, that, might because that is so, so vital and very difficult to establish. And, okay. and interestingly, with the, the cases that we've... We'll, we'll talk about the Michael Telling one. Of course, yes. this lady was found dead, as we've described. And... At the scene, the pathologist, the home office pathologist who's on call, everyone's 24-7, there's one on duty in like different areas of the country that cover wherever anything can happen. So they are the first out, really. And, of course, they, again, nothing's touched till they've been. And they then start their examination and they do body temperatures and various things to try and establish how long they've been dead. Uh, because... You need to know, as best you can, when they died, so you know how far back the inquiry's going to go. And also, when you start making inquiries with witnesses or possible suspects, you need to know where they were at that time. I think that the hardest thing about a murder inquiry is mm. you are trying to detect some something. You're trying to find out about somebody who you have no chance of knowing. Most of the time, this is a complete stranger and you have got to get to know them. Now, the crime scene can help in that and the families can help and all the input, but I would say that's one of the hardest things is you are trying to get inside the mind of somebody that you will never have the opportunity to meet or talk yes. to. What they have on their body, evidence-wise, and what they have surrounding them in the terms of the, um, the the scene of the crime has to tell you everything. And that was true of the Joan Woodhouse killing, mm. wasn't it? You know, the, the, they kept back vital pieces of information because even to this day, we're, we're going back 70 years in her case, as recently as, you know, in the last 10, 20 years, there's been about six people admitted killing Joan Woodhouse. Wow. <laughs> uh, going back from shortly after the murder to, as I say, as recent as 10 or 20 years. And one guy was in Rhodesia, wasn't he? Mm. And, of course, 
you know, they go in or ring the police or go in the police station and say, I've come to hand myself in, I've killed a woman in Sussex. And of course, when somebody with some knowledge first speaks to these people, they say, well, how did you do it? And of course, they trip out some rubbish. <laughs> and uh, clearly, they haven't got the faintest idea how she died. Uh, so that's a vital, you know, tool to detection is to, you don't, put all your cards on show and only people who did it would be able to say I did this I did this I, I positioned her at this position or whatever and then you might take a bit more interest but there are strange people out there and, and it, it never it never ceases to uh, to amaze me how many people will come forward and admit to committing a serious crime one of those that you were talking about in the Joan Woodhouse case, somebody many, many years later went into the police station and said, I murdered Joan Woodhouse in, in Arundel Park in West Sussex. And it turned out at the time he was about seven years old. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it couldn't have been, have been him. I mean, the amount of work that that takes to prove that, that they haven't done it, <laughs> and they haven't done it. It's almost as long as, it, as if they had. Uh, I, I guess so, you have to take it seriously, don't you? Oh yes. I mean, you know, it, it, uh, you can just imagine that when we had police stations that were open to the public, you know, there's, there's somebody on the desk, and somebody walks in and said, "I'm the man you're looking for," <laughs> uh, and you don't. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, you know, I've killed this woman in the park, a hundred miles away. Uh, well, you better take a seat while we sort it out. So how reliable are eyewitnesses? Or is that a, is that <laughs> yeah. a really good question? Yeah. Well, <laughs> sharp intake of breath. breath. Um, <laughs> I could hear it from here. Yeah, they, <laughs> I, I, they, Again, they vary. I mean, you can have some witness. I'm very, very good at recognising people's faces. He can't remember your name, your but, name. <laughs> but he'll remember your face. And, and people from years ago, I can say, oh, I remember you, you're so, you know, I met you so-and-so or whatever, and they say, I don't think so. And then you get to, oh, yeah, you did. You go far enough. No, I, I can always remember in the very early days of uh, my police career that we were all sat in, um, we were all sat in a classroom and somebody walked in holding a tray and on this tray, there was various things like elastic bands and pencils, biros, a stapler, all that kind of thing. And this, and as the person walked in, the instructor said, this is a lesson about observation. And of course, everybody was looking at what was on this tray and memorizing <laughs> it and, and, and really, really concentrating on it. And then the person walked out. Of course, the instructor said, now describe the person that was carrying the tray. <laughs> oh, that's evil. And I bet, I bet half of them couldn't even say whether it was male or female. Yeah. So that just shows, if, if you're distracted by something, you are watching, say you're watching somebody being attacked, you are looking at the attack. You're not looking at who's around you. If you were to put eyewitnesses kind of at, at, at the bottom, what would be the kind of the top thing you'd look for in a crime scene? Well, forensic evidence now is, is, you know, is fantastic. So forensic evidence and then you've got CCTVs or people's 
dash cameras. That's why the police will go into it big time now. Yes. Every time there's a crime, anybody got a dash camera? Anybody got CCTV? Anybody took, you know, photographs if you're in a beauty spot area? Uh, and it, it's, it's getting all the jigsaw pieces and piecing it all together. And, you know, that's literally what we do. And hopefully we get a conclusion. But that's the best you, you can do. Uh, and I think the best thing is don't hang your hat on one specific thing because like John says it is a jigsaw and you've got to get all those elements coming together to be able to see the bigger picture can you have too much information or too little again using the Yorkshire Ripper I mean it it failed uh, mainly because just what the subjects were talking about they, they were just overwhelmed with mm. with information and bearing in mind it was done you know on pen and paper in those days no computers and there's another story about computers isn't there Sally about <laughs> you know af- after the Yorkshire Ripper which we can talk about but but they just disappeared under the weight they had to reinforce some of the police station floors because the weight of the paper uh, was wow. massive and of course it's all this is the bit that the public don't see. Everything's got to be cross-referenced. So you've got to, you know, if there's a car, you've got to try and link it to the street or the colour or the make or the model. And it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And people's perceptions of colour can be different. So somebody might say it, it, there was a red car driving down the street. Other people might say there was a scarlet car. Some people might say there was a burgundy car, you know, They've all seen the same car, but they've all got a dis- separate description of it. And of course, street lighting in those days changed the colour of the cars at night. You know, yeah. you know, not dramatically, but it did. You know, the the sodium lighting and and the paint that they used in those days. You know, it, it and you know, Yorkshire Ripper. It was an Indian guy. You know, there was this, there was that. There's so many different variations. And of course, in the end, they just got burnt out I think you know they're just overloaded with all this and I think they were hoping that how's this guy getting away with this we, we we must catch him at the scene or close by you know and it didn't happen and of course you know when you say who's in charge you know George Oldfield hung his hat on the Geordie guy and of course it were wrong to the exclusion of everybody yes. else and, and I think his opinion then was, was based on, well, he's telling us things that haven't been released. But because there was so much press coverage, anybody who, who you know read a lot about it could piece this story together, which this guy did. And it were a hoax. And it you know just threw them completely off the wrong track, of which they got really criticised. But I felt sorry for them because... You know, you could it, it took its toll on so many cops up there, and George Oldfield died shortly afterwards. Um, just burnt out, heart attack, and uh... so. Um, when is a crime scene no longer a crime scene? Well, again, that comes down to the SIO's decision. Okay. Um, you know, like we've just been talking about, a crime scene can be wrapped up in a day. You know, if you're found on a tarmac street, there's not much after it's been examined. You know, you can't keep the road shut forever. Yeah. But, of course, in the rural locations, like we mentioned, or anywhere else, 
you, you, you could be there for days and days and weeks until somebody says, you know, we've we're not, got... We're not going to get any more, more from, than what we've got. From this scene. So it's his... You know, resources and manpower are important. So once everything's been done that you think can be done, then it's shut down and, you know, that house is released back to whoever, or relatives or whatever. And, you know, you then concentrate on the inquiry on its own. I, I can always remember being on a murder inquiry where um, a man had shot his wife in the kitchen. And so she she was dead and, and he was locked up. And they'd got cats and uh, and I was working on, on the incident room and my detective inspector said to me, we'd been working long days, and he said, why don't you just go for a run out, go up to the to the house and go and feed the cat because one of the police officers during all this time was feeding the cat oh, so, right. so I was I was selected to go that time to go and feed the cat and it was it was during the winter time and I can always remember going going in inside the house and I went into the kitchen and bearing in mind the last time I'd been in that kitchen this lady was dead on the floor and obviously the scenes of crime officers had been in, the CSIs had been in, and they put little stickers everywhere with arrows on, don't they, John, mm. um, to point at various things, so like blood spatter and all that kind of thing. So I walk in the kitchen, you know, this this has been the scene of a of a murder, and as I, as I walked in to go and fetch the uh, the cat food... You know when you have a timer on your uh, your heating system, and oh, there was no. a boiler in this kitchen. And as I as I walked in, it was about half three in the afternoon. I remember it vividly. And as I walked in, the uh, boiler switched on to you know for the for the central heating for the house, and it it was it it kind of went woof and. I'm not kidding you. I nearly had a heart attack. Wow. It was, it was just because it was so emotive. The last time I was in, in that room, the lady was dead there. There was a lot of blood. The blood was still around. There was all these signs that scenes of crime had been in and it just caught me off guard. Um, did you feed the cat? But I did feed the cat. (laughs) Priority one, priority one. Um, do you need to have a strong stomach or, or do you have to prep yourself before you enter a, a crime scene such as that? <laughs> well, well, we're looking at each it's other and, and smiling, <laughs> smiling again it, now. I mean, I said early on when we were talking, Mike, that police officers are human beings. Mm-hmm. And of course, just because you wear a uniform and you call yourself a cop doesn't make you immune from anything. And of course, some people uh, just cannot stand in dead people yeah and you know we've all as you know in our careers seen dead people be it murdered or whatever and uh the senior guys will say oh we're having a post-mortem on this person and do you want to come and you should come because one day you might be senior guy uh and alan usher was the first one i went to with and he did some of the Yorkshire Ripper murders as well, the pathology. And, of course, they know who you are because the, the senior guy, they all know each other. I'd say, oh, we've got a rookie coming and whatever. And he's all right. Because some people 
and we know them, don't we, Sally? Yeah. Faint at the first sight, wow. and they end up carting them out. And uh, <laughs> and of course, the pathologist, when he knows you're a newcomer, you know, he'll he'll talk you through what he's doing, and he'll, you know, because you're interested and he's interested in telling you. And it is quite fascinating, really, and the, the the skill of these guys. So it doesn't bother me, but we no, have had friends and colleagues. We've had who, we've had some very had close be, friends and very close colleagues had to be who have who have been carried out, who have walked in and and hit the deck. But oh. I can I can remember because I was a police cadet before um, before I joined the regular force when I was eighteen and a half. And so, and at, at that time, we used to do uh, a hospital attachment. We, we used to do all sorts of different attachments, hospital, social services, all this kind of thing, just to, um, just to give you some experience. And when I was 17, I did my hospital attachment. And in the grounds of the hospital was a, a one story building called Ivy Cottage. And Ivy Cottage was the mortuary. Mm. And they said to me while I was there, do you want to see um, a dead body? And I thought, well, at some point in the very near future, I'm going to have to, and I've never seen a dead body before. So I decided, yes, I did want to see a dead body. And they said, would you like to see a post-mortem? And I thought, well, I'm not really sure about that. And of course, I'd, I'd only seen, can you remember Quincy, the programme? I loved it, yeah. Quincy, M.E., um, and of course, in, in his working environment, it was, it was lots of glass windows. It was whitewashed walls. It was beautiful stainless steel everywhere. And so I got that in my mind. And I went and because the door was always locked to the mortuary. So you had to knock on the door. And I went and knocked on the door at my prescribed time for going to see a post mortem. And, the door kind of just had opened by about two or three inches and a hand came round it and then this face appeared and he just went, hello. <laughs> and that's because he knew that, that the, that the police cadet was, was going to see a dead body. And of course, after that, he just opened the door and he went, are you Sally? And I said, yeah, I am. So he said, come on in then. And I got myself so worked up. I walked in. And the fridges were facing you. Literally, the second you walked in, they were just a few feet away from you. And I turned to the right and there was um, two tables, both with a body on. And I just walked in, turned round and walked out again. And wow. I, I stood outside this ivy cottage. I stood outside the mortuary. And it was all going through my head. And I thought, Actually, it didn't look too bad. So he came to the door again and, and he opened the door and he said, are, are you off then? Or, you know, are, are you coming in? And I went, no, I'm coming in. And I went in and I watched two postmortems. And once, once I just detached myself from the fact that this was somebody's dad, somebody's granddad, yeah. somebody's brother, somebody's husband, whatever, somebody's friend. Once I detached myself from that, I found it absolutely fascinating. Really, really fascinating. But that was my age 17. That was <laughs> my, um, that was my 
first. Welcome to the real world. Welcome, to, wow. yeah, welcome, welcome to the real world. Um, a real eye opener. Yes, yeah, it it was, and and even there's other ones that I've been to since that I can kind of vaguely remember, but you know, just talking about that one i can see myself going through the door i can see i can see him opening the door i can see where the fridges were i can see where the body i can remember every single detail of that because uh-huh. it was my first time of of seeing somebody that was that was dead wow in our time haven't we mm. uh, and you worked on a big case didn't you where this guy just pulled up and he, he was shot dead uh, wow. Oh yeah, yeah. Having been robbed, and as we think that, uh, that they're still in prison. The two people who did it, mm. they were out to do something else. We got must have hyped up possibly, and got frustrated and took it out on this guy, and and then shot him. And it was a complete wow. random killing, wasn't it? Ugh. It was. It was a completely random killing, or or so we so we think. And you know, we say. We don't take it on board, but that is one of the ones that I do think about because that guy had two young sons. They are two little boys that had to grow up without their dad. Yes. You know, so, so there, there are, there are ones that, that do play on your mind. Yeah. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't think about it every day, but I do think about him just before, just before Christmas. And then I do think about every time we drive past the place where um, that victim was shot, mm. I do think about his boys and yeah. what are they doing now? And have they got families of their own? And what were they told? Because there were such little boys at the time, you know, so, so that you, you, you kind of do have recollections mm. about things and you do wonder what's happened since, but. You don't take on board everybody's grief. And that's it, folks. A big thank you to John and Sally from True Crime Investigators UK for taking the time to talk to us about being detectives. To listen in full to the cases they've discussed in the series, you can find them right here. Our podcast is on all the major podcast platforms and also you can go onto our website and that gives you case notes and maps photos uh, and other information and our website is truecrimeinvestigators.co.uk next week we shall return with our regular murder mile episodes but before that here's extra mile Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. And there we go, folks. And there we go. That was that was the series. I'm just going to get rid of my, my pop shield. Hope you enjoyed that. Something different. Something different and interesting. And also, kind of... I think, as we've kind of found out with this series, there's a lot of misconceptions, isn't there? Kind of things that you think on TV dramas that, you know, they've clearly got it right and accurate. But actually, a lot of it is kind of for, for dramatic effect. So, um, should I do me a cup of tea? Um, I'm going to point out that I am hungover. I'm still hungover technically from last week. So if you listen to last week's episode, I'm still hungover from that episode. But given the fact that I'm just, I've just literally recorded the extra mile to last week, last week's episode, uh, like five minutes ago, that's still the same hangover. But technically for you, that's, that's like a week ago. But, uh, yeah. Oh dear. I'm going to make me a cup of tea. I think, I think I need one. I deserve one. I'm going to use my Louise. I'm going to use my kangaroo mug. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to pop that there. Hadn't prepped my water, but there we go. Pop that in there. Lovely jubbly, 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 jubbly. Uh, time for a nice cuppa. Oh, oh, hangovers. I'm in a pain. Why do we always have to have hangovers? Why can't we just have no hangovers? And everything's nice. Why can't you just enjoy a night out on the pop and not feel absolutely shitey in the morning? Anyway, coffee's on, tea's on. I've got tea on. Right. Um, uh, just to say, uh, we've sorted out the London dates for how to plan the perfect murder and then totally balls it up. Uh, this is the live show that myself, uh, Adam from UK True Crime and Paul from uh, True Crime Enthusiast, uh, we're doing a live show. We're doing one in Glasgow at the end of this month, end of June. So that's that will probably have happened by the time you get this. Uh, but we've got a London date, which is the 11th of August. So uh, if you fancy coming along, that'll be two hours of fun. We'll do a meet and greet beforehand and uh, uh, a bit, a couple of drinky poos afterwards, obviously. Bargain price, £12. Uh, you'll also get to meet a lot of kind of like-minded people there as well. So that'll be a bit of fun, I think. Um, so, yep, there, there, there's a link in the show notes, as I say a lot. What else is going on? Uh, I, I, not really a lot to say because I kind of said it in last week's Extra Mile. It's still hot outside. I move the boat. It's still in the same place it was last week, even though it's not last week. It's uh, today. But you know what I mean. Uh, what else is going on? Um, my local Costa Coffee, because I move location, I've been going to the same Costa Coffee for about a month now because it's still local-ish. It's great. It's great. I walk in there. I don't need to order anymore. I walk in. I put down my bag on my chair and desk, my little office, and then I walk over to the counter and they... I don't even have to say anything. I just have to scan my thing and they're already making my coffee. Creature of habit. And even my, my other Costa coffee that I go to in town, when I walk in there as well, I can sit in my seat. I don't need to, uh, 
I don't need to um, say anything to them. It's great. It's great. Um, also, hopefully, by the time you listen to this, which will be in about three weeks' time, or now, uh, when you're listening to it, uh, I will have sorted out the venue for the meetup with uh, Dark Poutine, Mike from Dark Poutine, which we're doing in London as well, because he's coming over from Canada. So, eh. So, uh, that we'll have that sorted. Um, so, hope... I haven't got a date for it now, but if you look in the show notes, it should be in the show notes. Tease up. Uh, uh, there we go. Let that stew. Oh, it's a decent sized mug. That is a decent sized mug. I do like my mugs, but they, I like, I like a big old, big old fat mug. I like to get my money's worth, even if I'm not paying anything for it. But uh, yeah, this is a, this is a decent sized mug. Nice bit of Earl Grey. Lovely. Got to be done. There we go. Oh, I should have said at the start. Uh, this is uh, Extra Mile, the unscripted, unedited bit. So if you're new... Oh, if you're new to... Mur- ah, if you're new to Murder Mile... Um, uh, oh, if you're new to Murder Mile... Oh, why, why are you listening to part three first? Doesn't make any sense. Uh, but this is the unscripted, unedited bit. So yeah, uh, so we'll have sorted out the venue uh, for that. Uh, I'm trying to work out too. It's really bad. Like uh, since since all the pubs have reopened and you can start doing events now, there's so many pubs and that they're, they're higher prices if you want to like get a room. Like normally... I'd walk into a place and they'd go, yeah, as long as you spend this amount, it's fine. The amount of places who said, yeah, it's like four grand. I'm like, I'm not doing that. So I think I've got an interest. I need to check it with Mike tonight, but I think I've got an interesting uh, an interesting uh, way of doing this. So we'll do that. Uh, anyway, my hangover's still there. Uh, the Tuesday boozing was good. I visited a couple of pubs that I haven't been to before. And then, unfortunately, we got subjected to someone who I, I like to refer to as YouTube, YouTube twat. Um, some idiot like we're in a tiny little pub like a found a nice little pub that people rarely go into and it's really nice this guy walked in he was like yeah i could give you some great reviews or negative reviews because obviously i'm big on youtube and everyone was just like piss off there was like five people and a dog in a pub and he's there bragging about how big he is on youtube and everyone's like we've no idea who you are anyway let's hope we never see him again right let's do some quiz questions uh they okay question number one i'm gonna have a slurp of tea so uh get ready oh cup of tea nice and sugary um question number one what was the first food we spoke about at the start of the show this is really annoying because i was editing this this morning and when sally mentioned that food uh, it made me really hungry and I really, really wanted to go down the shops and just buy some. Uh, question number two. Uh, what were Schmitter's, in brackets, Sally's favourite food? Or her childhood treat? Uh, question number three. Uh, what piece of police equipment did John get to experience in California? C- California. Uh, question number four. What only exists on TV crime scene? Hang on. Oh, what? See, never write questions when you're hungover. Question four. What only exists on TV crime dramas and not in real crime scenes? As mentioned in the episode. Uh, Question number five. One man who claimed... uh, uh, One man who claimed he had murdered Joan Woodhouse. Where did he live? 
that was almost a question. So in the episode I mentioned, uh, John and Sally mentioned about a man who said he had murdered Joan Woodhouse, but where did he live? Where did he come from? I've really ballsed up these questions. Question six, I hope. Uh, what did they have on the floor? Core dear, Michael. Question number six. What did they have to do to the floor of the police station in the Jack the Ripper case? Jack the Ripper case? Yorkshire Ripper case? Oh, Michael, you're all over the shop. What did they have to do to the floor of the police station in the Yorkshire Ripper case? As mentioned in the episode. Good luck with me trying to answer the... Oh, oh, Michael, you just can't talk anymore. Question seven. What time of day did the boiler switch on when Sally was feeding the cat? That is a bloody hard question. That should be worth two points. Just like the next question. (laughs) Question eight. Who was the first pathologist that John visited who had performed some of the autopsies on the Yorkshire Ripper cases? So who was the first pathologist that John visited, comma, who had performed some of the autopsies in the Yorkshire Ripper case? Should really have put a comma there. What was it? What was his name? <laughs> That's a really hard question. Balls up by me. Question number nine. What TV detective was referenced when we were talking about autopsies? And question number 10. What was the name of the delivery driver who was run over by thieves who were stealing his van? So there you go. Oh, now how am I going to do this? Oh, man, you've... uh... We'll do that. We'll do. We'll put in Joe in here. Joan. Okay. Uh, Joan clip. Right. Uh, so I was gonna. I'm, I'm gonna add in a clip from uh, Sally and John's series, True Crime Investigators UK. Obviously, last week we did uh, the man that is question ten. So we will do the. We will do the uh, Joan. As mentioned in the series, he can kind of get a sense of it. So here is the clip. ...leaving the door open and the engine still running. Suddenly, a young man jumped into Michael's van and closed the door. Michael saw what was happening and before he had an opportunity to make the delivery, quickly ran back to the van, calling to the thief to get out, banging on the door and sides. The vehicle reversed, turning in the road. Michael appeared desperate to stop the theft of his van and its few remaining contents. He stood in front of the vehicle, but rather than stop, the young male thief, sitting in the driver's seat, accelerated, knocking Michael to the ground and running him over. As the van was driven from the scene, Michael was dragged 50 yards further down the road and was fatally injured. Brilliant. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, Don't forget, you can click on the link in the show notes to go to their uh, podcast. And they've got loads of other kind of excellent episodes as well. So enjoy. Uh, Let's do the answers to the questions. Uh, And let's see if I can uh, say the questions and then if I can actually say the answers as well. Because it's not going well, is it? Right. Question number one. Oh, I wonder if I need chocolate. Maybe that's it. Question number one. Haven't had chocolate in ages. I'm still fat, though. Question number one. What was the first food we spoke about at the start of the show? It was fish fingers. Ooh, fish finger sandwiches. Lovely. Mm. Question number two. What were schmitters, i.e. Sally's favourite childhood food? It is white bread with brown sauce and a glass of milk. I think it's white bread with brown sauce. 
but comes with a glass of milk. Ah, nice. Question number three. What piece of police equipment did John get to experience in California? He got to have a ride in a helicopter, in the police helicopter. I'm sure in California, like every policeman has their own helicopter. Over here, as as John mentioned, there's like there's like one for every three counties. Uh, let's see what. So question number four. I'm working my way through them, but I might balls this one up. Question four. What only exists on TV crime dramas, but not in real cre- crime scenes? Uh, it's chalk outlines around bodies doesn't happen and it makes sense that it doesn't happen um um one one really fascinating uh chalk outline on a film my, my friends are obsessed with prince and they love the film purple rain they're like oh it's a great film it's not it's not a great film and he's a terrible actor um but there's one scene that really makes and i always point it out to them and there's a scene where i think i think prince's uncle gets gets killed uh, and then he comes back to the house and he's sitting there like crying and he's looking at this chalk outline on the floor and he's thinking about his uncle who's dead. The problem is there's a previous scene and you see the paramedics take away his uncle and then his uncle's in hospital and he's still alive and then he dies in hospital. So what what someone's implying is that the paramedics turned up, found him on the floor, not quite dead, drew a chalk outline around his body <laughs> as if he's going to die anyway and then took him to hospital. It's fascinating. It's it's one of those scenes where you just go, wow, someone really hasn't thought about this. Uh, <laughs> uh, question number five. One man who claimed he had murdered Joan Woodhouse, where did he live? He lived in Rhodesia, which was the name back then, which obviously uh, now is uh, Zimbabwe. Uh, question number six. What did they have? What did they have to do to the floor of the police station in the Yorkshire Ripper case? Did that one well done? Uh, they had to reinforce reinforce the floor because of the weight of the files. Question number six. I was uh, listening to a, a podcast today, and they were saying with some jumbo jets, even today, they still have to use floppy disks to upload uh, uh, some of the data because even though the 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 equipment is new. The software upload, they still use floppy disk files. Amazing, amazing. And apparently the, uh, some, uh, some of our Trident nuclear weapons, uh, the, the software was still uploaded using old floppy disks. Floppy, floppy disks. Baffling. Um, question number seven. Tough one. What time of day did the boiler switch on when Sally was feeding the cat? It was 3.30. Question number nine, time to put in a comma. Uh, Who was the first pathologist John visited, comma, who performed some of the autopsies for the Yorkshire Ripper case? See the power of having a comma, so useful. Uh, The man's name was Alan Usher. Question number nine, which TV detective was referenced when we were talking about autopsies? It was Quincy M.E., and question number 10 uh, what was the name of the delivery driver who was run over by thieves who were stealing his van his name was michael pritchard there you go which is why we did the did jones clip there 
Oh dear lord! Right, hope you enjoyed that. That was、uh, that was New Blue season two, lovely.、Uh, and hopefully, if Police Constable Arsenal Guinness is listening to this, maybe we could do an update with、uh, Police Constable Arsenal Guinness. See what he's up to. See if he he passed his sergeant's exam. I've spoken to him since then, so we, I think we all need to know. So yes, let's find out.、Um, thank you, everyone, for listening to、uh, New Blue, New Blue Season Two. My brain's gone. My brain's gone.、Uh, as mentioned, next week we'll be back with、uh, regular episodes of Murder Mile that will continue、uh, for like twelve, fifteen episodes. That'll take us to October. October, I'll pop in. Who knows? Maybe New Blue Season Three. Fingers crossed, or something else.、Uh, hopefully, I'm going to give myself a tiny little holiday then. Hopefully, because I haven't had a holiday since 2014. Ugh, Eva doesn't allow me to have holidays. And then we will do、uh, another run, and that will take us to the end of the year. Brilliant! Thank you, everyone. Have yourself a good week. Stay safe and be good. Lots of love, everyone. I didn't say people on this one. Lots of love, people. Doesn't sound right. Lots of love, folks. That sounds nice. Have yourself a good week. Stay safe and be good. Bye bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi.、Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com/pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.